Well, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be with you again. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to open up to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22. In the um, prayer request this morning, as you mentioned the church at Olive Branch, you mentioned the other church and the uh, family that maybe had some issues going on where they needed God's grace, needed God's leadership, a couple of other requests maybe. If we were to bring even some of those back down to even our own level, some of those requests that we had but maybe we didn't mention or some of the things that we might even struggle with on a daily basis, a a big uh, struggle, I think, that we have pretty regularly is trying to discern what God's will is for our life in the everyday specifics that we just come into contact with. Some of them are surprises, and then some of them are things that we know we have coming from a long time out, but once we get there, or once they get to us, we have a difficult time knowing how to respond. As you obviously have have continued to hold services and the church has continued to meet without a pastor, that was probably not something you were expecting to happen. There probably wasn't a big plan there. And I can relate to that. At Ripley, we we were a couple of years without a pastor and trying to figure out what to do and what does God want us to do here and what does God want us to do here. And then the building burns down and we're trying to figure out what God wants us to do here and there. And Are, are we all just going to disintegrate next? And, and what do we do? I talked to uh, a woman last year who was really struggling with what she described as just kind of anxiety, some depression. And the more we got into what it was that was bothering her, she had completed a master's program in a particular area of study. She was not sure what God wanted her to do with that. She was a first grade teacher. She thought maybe God would have her to teach at a college. Maybe God would have her further this particular area of study. She had no idea, and she she thought about it and even kind of obsessed about it to the point to where uh, that, on top of a lot of other things, she had no real answers. What does God want me to do? To the point to where she finally said, I need somebody to talk to. The Lord blesses you with uh, children or has blessed you with a child. That's something you probably knew was coming. But you also know, probably on a daily basis, you scratch your head sometimes and think, what should I do with this? If you're, if you're really trying to figure out what it is God wants you to do, do I spank them even though I'm not real sure they knew exactly what they just did? Is there a better way to approach this? Do I give them the silly lecture to where they don't really take me seriously anymore? How do I handle this thing? And so I say all that to say that in all of our lives and in different circumstances and different areas, it is a struggle sometimes to figure out what God's will is for us. And so with the message this morning, I just want to kind of encourage you uh, that there is a way uh, that you can know God's will for your life. I also want to encourage you that as we look at this, I'm going to tell you what I usually tell folks that come into the office um, at school and they try to figure out a major. By the time we get finished today, you're not going to know God's will for every little specific detail, but hopefully we can kind of go from here to here and zero in on some things that you're going to be able to apply to more of the specific areas of your life. So if you have your Bibles and you're in Matthew 22, we're going to start in verse 37. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. man comes to Jesus, a lawyer, and he asks him, which is the greatest commandment? Verse 37, Jesus' response is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So I hope as we go here and we start 
in Matthew 22, 37, 38, you don't automatically roll your eyes and think, well, here it is, another guy saying he's going to say something about God's will, and he's so general, anybody could have gotten up and said that. It doesn't really mean much uh, if it's just out there in some general way. So as I look at Matthew 22, 37 through 39, I just want to say this. If you're concerned about finding God's will for your life, the emphasis has to be on God's will and not your life. That's important. If you're concerned about finding God's will for your life, the emphasis must be on God's will, not your life. Let me tell you why I say that and why I even make the distinction. It's very easy for us to think that there's something unique about us. We've got some special insight into this. Our circumstances might be different or something about us might be whatever. We can come up with a million and one ways as to why a plain precept from God's Word might not apply to our situation And if we're so concerned about where our life is going, and that becomes the main focus, then we've got our focus in the wrong place. You see, God's will is not always that difficult to discern as long as you're trying to discern God's will and not your comfort zone, not my best life now kind of a thing. When we start in the generals, we know this about God's will for us. God's will for me is to love Him with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul. I also know this about God's will for me. God's will is that I would love my neighbors, that I would love you, that I would love the people that I come into contact with as I love myself. While Jesus gives us a really general statement here as he goes and and just kind of makes a synopsis of what the greatest commandment is with these two, he also gives us a really specific instruction on what it is that we can do or what it is that God expects from us. I would say that if we just took these two things here and we tried to apply these, a minute would not go by during the day, that this would not be practical to the specific situations and areas of our life. How is it that we love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind? Whenever you break those things down and you start thinking about what it would mean, those are, that's a pretty consuming verse, isn't it? Pretty consuming instruction. God wants me to love Him with every thought that comes into my head. God wants me to love Him with every desire that flows out of my heart. God wants me to love Him with the, every fiber in my being. Not only that, but as an expression of that, an overflow of that, I'm going to be loving you as much as I love myself or as I love myself in the process. What's God's will for our life? God's will for our life is that we would love Him with everything that we have and then that we would turn around and love others as well. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. We'll turn back and we'll get another principle here. Matthew chapter 6, in verse 33, Jesus gives this passage, "...but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought." I'm sorry, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Really what I want is verse 33. Jesus says this, This is my will for you. This is God's will for you that you seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. So if we're trying to find God's will for our life, we know that we, plainly from Scripture, He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He says, love your neighbors as yourself. And then Jesus would kind of rephrase some of that here and maybe give us another dimension to it as He would say, seek ye first, put your highest priority on seeking God's kingdom. Put your highest priority, and really what that means is bringing yourself under the rule and reign of God. Now, if we just had these two, and we have more than these two, but if we just had these two, we have enough 
to where if we had a chart, and I did a kind of a Bible study on this at home, and so there was an upside-down triangle. If we had a chart, we were trying to discern what God's will was. If we put Matthew 22 and Matthew 6 up top, and we kind of had a triangle, and we let those truths trickle down toward the specifics of our life, we've got a pretty big filter to be able to decide what it is God's calling me to do in these little specific areas of my life. So that whenever a job opportunity comes up, I've got to ask myself, can I love the Lord with all my heart? Is there something here that's going to hinder me from serving the Lord the way I ought to? Is there something here that's going to hinder me from putting God's kingdom first? Is there something here that's going to keep me from doing what God's called me to do, plainly called me to do through the Scriptures? Well, if there is, well, then you already know God's will for your life. Now, does that mean that, you know, if you're going to apply for a job somewhere and you happen to figure out that you're going to be working with some other sinners that you decide to go home. Well, that's not it. I'm not talking about silliness like that, but I'm talking about things that would have you committed to not being able to have regular church attendance or things that would have you doing things that were immoral, things that God plainly told you not to do in, in, in the Word, things that would hinder you from being able to, what Jesus says here as far as seeking God's kingdom first, that would hinder you from having fellowship with God, fellowship with God's saints, We already know from those two verses, it's not God's will for my life for that to happen. Now, as we keep the general principles in mind and we try to get those to trickle down in the specifics, it's important that we start with what we know. That kind of seems like a silly statement to make, but you would be, you may not be surprised. We all do this. We're trying to discern something. We're trying to figure out what we should do and, and, and what uh, maybe God would call us to do here. And rather than start with what we know, we start with all the what-ifs that may or may not happen. We start with all the things that it would be impossible for anybody on the face of the planet to know. And we try to use that information to make a decision based on what God might have us do. So just as we start out and as you start out thinking, maybe trying to apply some of these things to your own life to discern God's will for your life, start with what you know. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Another familiar verse here, but it's a very plain passage and a very helpful passage as well. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. According to Proverbs chapter 3, verse, verses 5 and 6, it says, as far as breaking up responsibilities here, on the front end, in, chapter, in verse 5, it says, you are to trust in God. And it contrasts that with us leaning to our own understanding. In other words, it says if you're trusting in God, you're not trying to, in your own wisdom, in your own common sense, in your own logic, in your own understanding, trying to figure out life. If you're trusting in God, then you're wanting to learn from God. You're wanting to look to see what God says about specific situations. Not just specific situations. You're in God's Word because you want to know more about God. You want to know God. Trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. And then in verse 6, it kind of gives us a practical way to do that. It says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. Now, that's a pretty good verse if we're going to try to figure out how it is that we can discern God's will for our life. If we have a promise at the very end of that that He's going to direct our paths, then what comes before it would be a, a pretty important concept or a pretty important revelation to us. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. 
in all your ways acknowledge Him. The first thing I just want to take from verse 6 is that as we try to find what it is that God is calling us to do, God expects us to be trusting Him in every area of life. It's in all your ways that you acknowledge God. It's in all your ways that you seek God's will, every single area of life. Now, in a church service like this, it's easy for me to say that, and it's easy for us to shake our head and say, Amen, Amen, brother, you got it right, and we do that, and not really that, but we think that, and, and, and it's easy, right? We say, yeah, of course I'm, 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 I'm interested in, in what God's will is for every area of my life, but that's until we get into all the other areas of our life that's outside of church, and it's so easy for our minds to go on autopilot, it's so easy for our own wisdom to kick in. It's so easy for our own wants and desires to kick in. And before we know it, we're making all of our decisions. We're making all of our, our, our uh, plans, not really because we're trying to rebel against God. It's not that we're in an actively rebellious state of mind. It is that we just kind of get to where we ignore God sometimes. We're, we're not really opposed to Him. But we're not really actively trying to figure out what it is that he wants us to do. It's just kind of one of those things that we slip into. So he says, in all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him. The word there, acknowledge, means to know or to discern. To know or to discern. So it's not just that you acknowledge the fact that God's there. It's not that you get ready to make your decision here as far as what Solomon's communicating in the proverb. It's not that he's saying, in all your ways, acknowledge that God exists and then he'll lead you. That's not it. But it's in all your ways, discern what God would have you to do. In all your ways, have discernment. And then the promise there is is that he will direct your way. The word direct there just means to make straight. So again, we have two areas of responsibility here. God's responsibility and your responsibility. You discern, and he'll direct. You acknowledge, and he'll direct. He says, in all your ways, you acknowledge me. In all your ways, you discern my will. And if you do that, I will make your path straight. You see, that's a lot different than thinking, if I just acknowledge that God exists, then there'll be somehow some mystical way that I'm led in life. If I just acknowledge that there is a God and that God, you know, even my, accurate, my understanding of God is accurate. If I have all my theology straight and I have everything the way it ought to be, and in my head I've got the whole thing figured out, then God will somehow mystically ignore, or, uh, direct me where I am. Now listen, I believe in providence. I believe God does lead us in those sorts of things. But if your concern is finding out what God's will is for your life, God has not left you to providence to figure that out. Now, God will lead you through providence, but he's never asked you to take two steps ahead of where he is to figure out what he's going to do next. He says, if you discern my will, if you discern my will in this situation, if you acknowledge me, then I will direct you. I will make your path straight. So you, you have to, and this is going to be important in a lot of different areas, but especially, I would say, just applied to the church situation here. You have to keep those things in balance. You have to keep those things in balance. I was really glad I didn't have a chapter reading this morning to suggest uh, for Brother John uh, to have read because I thought the chapter this morning was, was perfect. I thought some of the things in here were really, well, they just really spoke to me. But John made the comment as he tied it to, I think there is a fountain filled with blood. In Psalm 103, this comment is made, or this truth is made. In verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and He's plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. 
That verse 10 just jumped out at me this morning as we were reading that. And the reason I, uh, it jumped out at me is because, it's like we said this morning, so many times we, we might hear that, we might even know that, but the truth of that does not always shine through in our thoughts. Why do you think in Psalm 103 that they told us, David told us, the writer of the psalm told us, God has not dealt with us after our sins? Why would God reveal that to us? There's a lot of different ways, I guess, or a lot of different reasons, but one reason in particular that I think a lot of times we miss out on is God has revealed that to us so that we have a way to interpret life. Why are things happening? Why do things happen the way they happen? Why in the world am I without a pastor? Why is my life not taking the direction I thought it would take? Why does it seem like every time I turn around, there's another trial piled on me? Well, there may be several different answers to that, but one of the answers is not going to be because God is dealing with me according to my sin. Now, you may be chastised in the sense that God is correcting you. God is bringing you to maturity through affliction. God is, is, is uh, uh, burning off some of the impurities in your life. But it's not because you've fallen under the judgment of God. We know that as we interpret really any part of life. Because God says to the believer, God's not dealt with me after the iniquities or after my own sins. Not after my own iniquities. Good grief. If God were to do that, things would be way worse than they are now. Surely, he wouldn't even be a just God if all he did was a light punishment that I call a heavy trial, if it was after my own sins. And so it's important to keep those things in mind, that as God is revealing his character to us, it's not just so that we can write that down in some systematic theology book and then check that off and say, yes, I'm sound and somebody may not be. It's so as we look through life and we look at life and we try to interpret what's coming in, we have an accurate view of what it is God's doing. So for the Christian, God is not, he is not judging us according to our sins. Maybe correcting us, but it's not a judgment. And so you keep the realms of responsibility balanced as you seek to find God's will for your life. You obey, God will lead. You discern, God will lead. Now things begin to get a little bit out of whack whenever we start leading and we want God to start obeying. And isn't that very it's easy for that to happen, isn't it? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's where Jesus quotes whenever he's in the wilderness in um, Mark uh, chapter 2, I think. God tells Moses, this is why I led you all these years. This is why I led you in the wilderness. So that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You knew that one already, right? Nobody was surprised at that verse or even the teaching that comes out of that verse. But let me ask you this. How many times in your own life have you tried to manipulate things as to where you wanted God to live off of every word that came out of your mouth? How many times in prayer have we prayed as if God is responsible for answering the, the request that I've made? And if he doesn't do that, now we wouldn't get up and announce this in church. If he doesn't do that, then he's not quite as faithful as I once thought he would be. We do that sometimes, don't we? God, you don't understand what's going on. Lord, things here, are just, they're, just, they're just bad and they're just getting worse. It's almost like we're, we're letting God in on something that he didn't know about. Lord, I don't see any other answer than this. I don't know why you're not doing anything. I, I, I sat down and talked with a lady a couple of weeks ago, and she, she looked at me and she said, Lewis, I just don't know what to do. I said, well, what is it? She said, I can't figure out how to get God to do what I want him to do. Well, of course, we shake our head at that and think, well, that lady, she needs some real, some real insight into what it is that the Scripture says about God. But you know what? I think that is true. But you know what else I think? I think the lady just didn't know better. Maybe not didn't know better, but she was just too honest. How many of us have thought the same thing? I just can't get God to do what I want Him to do. It's not sound to say it that way. So our responsibility is to obey. We're not in the front. We're not leading the pack. God says He will lead. He will direct. Now let's try to hone in a little, little closer. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, 
How exactly is it that you do that? Deuteronomy chapter 29. If you're in Deuteronomy 29, we're looking at verse 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of His law. The secret things belong to the Lord. Those things which are revealed, they belong to us and to our children, that we may do all the words of His law. So according to Deuteronomy 29.29, if we are discerning, if we are acknowledging, if we are seeking God's will, well, the first thing we're going to do is figure out what realm it is that we're going to be finding that. And that's going to be, according to Deuteronomy 29.29, that's going to be in those things which are already revealed to us. That's going to be in God's Word. Your responsibility is to obey the plain teaching of God's Word. Now, for some folks, that's kind of a disappointing answer. You're expecting more. Maybe not you in here. Uh, but sometimes we're expecting more. We're expecting more of a mystical deal. We're, we're hoping that God's going to somehow come in and move us in our souls in a way that we can't really understand, we can't really put our finger on, but somehow just some abracadabra moment's going to come where all of a sudden I know what God wants me to do. And that's just not biblical. God doesn't call us to wait on something like that. He says our responsibility is to take heed, to obey His revealed will. If you'll keep your finger there in Deuteronomy, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 10. In verse 23, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, he says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Jeremiah makes a, I guess, a confession to God here. He says, God, I know this. I know that the way of man is not in himself. That the way of man or the way that man walks is not in him. We need you to direct us, is what Jeremiah is saying. So if we were to look at Deuteronomy 29.29 and say your responsibility is to obey God's revealed will or God's revealed word, as we look at Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, God's responsibility is to providentially guide you in His secret will. Not because we're saying, God, you have to do this, but because God said, this is what I'm going to do. Not only that, but as we take a look at providence and we think about trying to guess and, and wonder about what it is that God wants to do, if you look at how God communicates those things and makes the contrast in Deuteronomy 29.29 that the secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us, doesn't it just make sense that God's secret will is a secret, right? You, we can't figure out a secret. I mean, you know, you may figure out one of my secrets or you may figure out one of your other secrets, but if God wants to keep something hidden and God wants to keep a secret, God can keep a secret. And if He's already declared that there is a revealed will that I've given you, it's through my Word, and if there's a, the secret things, the secret things of providence, the secret things of the workings that you don't understand, doesn't it make sense that we'd put all of our time and all of our efforts and all of our attention in trying to figure out what it is that God has already said He's revealing to us rather than try to run ahead and figure out what it is that God already told us He's keeping a secret how does this work out, really, in, in everyday life? You may have already thought of a few things, but I think of the person who just knows, you know, that uh, God must be working in this situation. There's a job out there that I'm completely unqualified for that um, even if I were to get it, wouldn't be making enough to provide for my family. But since I saw Uncle Joe's cousin's stepbrother's sister that I met two years ago at McDonald's the other day, and she happened to be reading an ad in the newspaper, and when I told her I wanted to looking for a job, she pointed out this obscure thing in the newspaper. It just seems like God's putting all the pieces together for me, brothers. I don't know what it is. You know what I'm talking about? 
coming up with these silly ideas because something happened to happen. I'm not saying God doesn't orchestrate that stuff. I am saying God's not directing you uh, through some silly means uh, that would be inconsistent or even not revealed with some of the things He's plainly told us in His Word. If you feel like God has providentially led you to something, if you're the provider of a family and God has led you to something that will not provide for your family, it may be nice temporarily, but that's not God's will for you to park it there. God's will is for you to provide for your family. If you're in, in, in some kind of something to where you're not able to provide the leadership in your home that you ought to be able to provide, then your goal ought to be to keep on moving. Stay where you are for a little bit, but keep on moving until you can provide that leadership. If you're in a place where you can't uh, fulfill some plain, laid-out, scriptural responsibilities in your life, I'm not saying that you go home and pack up now. I am saying you keep on moving. You keep on moving. You're not content to be partially in God's will because you want all of God's will. And you're not going to find that by trying to outrun providence. You're not going to find that by trying to go ahead of providence. You're going to find that through God's Word. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then it will continue on down through uh, the end of the chapter, kind of fleshing out that verse 17. I just go here and I look at chapter 5, verse 17, just to make this one statement. According to Ephesians 5.17, it is possible to know God's will. According to Ephesians 5.17, it is possible not just to know God's will, it's possible for you to know God's will. You know, a lot of times that's where most of the frustration is. People convince themselves that God is just, He's just impossible to figure out. I don't know what He wants me to do. I look, I try, I've done everything I know how to do. I just can't figure out what it is that God would have for me to do. I just can't figure out God's will. Well, I want you to know that for your life, for those that look, those that search, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12 would speak of wisdom. As we live in wisdom, we live in a way that, that um, places God's will in the forefront. It says, those who love me, find me. Those who love me, find me. God's will can be found. And then if you take that and you kind of put it together with Psalm 23, verse 2 says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures and He leads me beside the still waters. As David talks about and thinks about God being a shepherd, as he thinks about what it is that the shepherd does, one of the things that he's confident in is that God is leading him. He will lead him beside the still waters. Not only that, but in verse 6, he's also confident in the fact that goodness and mercy is going to follow him, going to pursue him all the days of his life. That goodness and mercy, God's uh, providential care is going to direct him. So, just as it's possible for you to know what it is that God has in mind for you as far as what God's will is for your life, you can also be just as confident that as you're seeking God's will, that God's going to lead you. He leads me beside the still waters. Goodness and mercy are violently, if we were to really translate that and flesh out all the Hebrew in that, the word pursue there means to violently, or not pursue but follow, means to violently hunt down, to persecute, to pursue. God says, this is what my goodness and mercy does. This is what my providential care does for you. In Psalm 143, in Psalm 143, David kind of shows us how to, how to pursue this knowledge of God's will. If we know that we can find God's will in His Word, if Paul was talking to the Ephesians and he said, don't be unwise, don't live as if you're unwise, but know what God's will is, 
And then if the psalmist tells us, and we find this in the New Testament as well, that God is going to lead us, that God does lead us, that He pursues us in order to lead us, David says here's how you, or one of the things, one of the ways that you would practically apply that. Psalm 143, verse 10. David says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. If we want to know God's will, if we're trying to discern God's will through His Word, we're also trying to trust that God's going to lead us the way He said He would. One thing that we need to do on a daily basis is pray that God would teach us His will. How many of you sit down every time that you open up the Bible and you just have this great revelatory experience to where God just speaks to you every time? A lack of hands lets me know you're like me. It doesn't happen all the time, right? Sometimes you sit down and it's just being honest. Sometimes you sit down and it's just a boring exercise. Sometimes you have a struggle just getting through it. Sometimes you walk away and you don't really remember what it was that you read. It just happens that way sometimes. Can I tell you what we need? We don't need to take the idea that our responsibility is to pursue God's will through His Word. God's responsibility is to lead us and say, okay, as long as I'm looking, God's got to lead. That's not it. David takes that and he humbly says, Lord, this is what you've told me to do, but I also need you to lead me in what you've already told me I need to do. Would you please lead me? Would you please teach me as I look to do your will? Imagine as David was praying that prayer, he did not have in mind that he was going to go out in a field somewhere and twiddle his thumbs for a week and God was just going to shoot down a bolt of lightning to teach him what it was that God wanted him to do. It's not what David had in mind. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who was familiar with the Scriptures. David was a man that said that he was wiser than all his teachers. And the reason was because he took heed to God's Word. David was a man who was in God's Word on a regular basis and who was consumed, I would say, I don't know if consumes the Word it might be, but he was drenched as far as his mind. With the Word of God. All these psalms are just songs that David came up with. They're things that David wrote down. And the Scriptures in the, the Old Testament and David's experience, God's character along with His guidance and providence and all these things, they naturally flow out of David's heart. And the reason is not because David was so special and poetic in that sense. I mean, he did have a gift with that. But the reason was he had a mind that was saturated in the Word of God and yet still he thought it was necessary to sit down and say, God, would you please teach me to do Your will? Because you're my God, and your spirit is good, so please lead me into the land of uprightness. If we're going to know God's will, we're going to have to depend on God. We're going to ask God to open up our eyes. We're going to have to ask God to give us a learner spirit. Ask God to give us a spirit that would say, I'm going to conform my life to what I find in your word. I'm not coming to your word with an agenda. I'm not coming to it trying to make it say what I want it to say. But as I approach your word, I want it to influence my own heart. I want it to do what you said it would do in Psalm 19. I want it to convert my heart. And then in Psalm 119, verse 105, David says this. He says, Lord, your, your word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. Two things here. Think about the description that David gives. He says, God, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And it's a light to my path. Why didn't David just say, Lord, your word brightens the way? I mean, that would have been sufficient to say what he was talking about if you're just trying to make your way down somewhere and it's dark. And That's not what he says. He says, I need your word, Lord, because my feet would go astray. I need your word personally, God. I'm not trying to, to, to come up and, and, and establish myself as some authority. I'm not trying to establish myself as anything. I need your word because in and of myself, I am ignorant. I will go the wrong way. 
I will go the way that my heart leads me, which I already know is to destruction. And so he says, your word, not only is it a light to my feet, because my feet would wander off into dark places, but it's also a light to my path, because, Lord, I'm walking in a world that's full of darkness. The paths that I'm walking through, the, the paths of life that we all walk through, are all influenced by darkness. He says, God, I need your word, not just for myself, but also what I'm going to encounter. I need your word to open my eyes. I need your word to guide me. And so I would tell you that if you're going to know God's will for your life, you've got to be honest about yourself. You see, if I think of myself as, you know, here this morning and, and, and you're sitting there and you're listening to me and I get an hour to get up here and yap and you're all going to listen to me talk about the Bible some. And if I just think about myself and God's Word as, well, I've got to hurry up and study this thing so I can preach a good sermon for those guys at Gadsden, my heart is not where David's heart is there. You see, I need God's Word because it's a light unto my invitation to come back whenever, right? It's just an end to a means, or a means to an end. I just hope it's going to get me another appointment. But if I think, Lewis, you are foolish. Now, we all have a hard time believing that about ourselves, but when we look at the facts, we can't really argue. Lewis, you're, 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 you're ignorant. You really are. If you were left to yourself, you really would make a mess of this thing. You're selfish. You're self-consumed. You're arrogant. You, you like your way and, and are more drawn to your way than you are God's way. And you're also more drawn to your way than you are anybody else's way. And so whenever somebody says something or does something that you don't think is right, then your natural response to that is a, is a hurtful response. It's not a way that would glorify God. You sum all that stuff up and you just say, Lewis, left to yourself, you really are just in darkness. I don't know how many of you have taken the time to just sit down and reflect on what that really means, the reality of what that really means. Closing what some people call the gospel gap, just your, what you already know about what the Bible says, and, and seeing how that really does apply to your own heart. If you've never really done that, then the idea of a light unto your path is probably not that attractive outside of just you know hoping in some public way, then you'll be able to move things out. If you don't know how dark your heart is, you don't really need a light. I don't need a flashlight until the power goes out at home. And then after that, my little girl's got a little flashlight she goes running around with and having a good time, and she starts this and starts that. But as long as the lights are on, I don't really need anything. And so I would encourage you, as you look for God's will or you try to discern God's will, you've got to start with the presupposition that the lights are out in your house and you need some light. If you don't start there, you won't end up in the right spot. It's not that the lights are out in the world and you just need to go out and be a light. It's that you don't have any light in and of yourself either. And if it's not for God's Word and God's Spirit using His Word to shine through you, you don't have anything to offer anybody. The other thing is, we are so influenced by darkness, aren't we? Jesus says that's the condemnation in, in, in John chapter 3, verse 19, that, darkness is, that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light, and they do not come to the light because their deeds will be exposed because they love evil more than light, righteousness. And so we need something to keep us from that. You see, all it would take is a couple of pats on the back when we get finished this morning for me to walk away thinking I was the best thing you guys ever heard. And those guys at Ripley don't appreciate me the way they ought to appreciate me. And I don't know what's wrong with these guys. All this effort I put in, all my giftedness and talent that I use as I do all this stuff, I just not appreciate it. Now, as you're listening to me, I hope you know that's a big exaggeration, right? I don't really believe that stuff. I'd like to believe it, but I am in enough reality to know it's not true. I'm not really all that great. I really am my biggest fan when it comes to a lot of areas. And really, you are too, for yourself. There's one thing that I usually tell folks that come in the counseling center. Nobody is, you know, when you're having a lot of trouble with everybody and you just can't get along with anybody, and it's all because you have the secret wisdom that nobody knows but you, 
Nobody is as impressed with you as you are. Nobody's as impressed with me as I am. If I can come to that realization, I've got a need for God's Word. If I can come to that realization, then most of what I've been impressed with is foolishness, and I need light to penetrate that darkness and point me where God would have me to go. And so David says, Lord, my greatest source of light is Your Word. Let me recap real quick, and then we're done. I know I'm out of time here. As the lawyer comes and says, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? In other words, we could have rephrased it this way. What is my highest priority in life? He says, you love the Lord with all your heart. And then he says, you love your neighbor as yourself. As we look at it, and we could have just stuck with Proverbs 3 the whole time. As we look at what our responsibility is, whenever it comes to finding God's will, we have to trust and we have to obey. We, we, we discern God's will and we follow that. We obey His commands, but we also have to trust in His providence that it's going to lead us and that it's going to guide us to where God wants us to be. So that if you're discouraged this morning and you're not really sure what it is God wants you to do or where it is God wants you to be, I want to encourage you that if God has brought you here providentially this morning, it's exactly where God wants you to be today. If He has brought you here today and He wants you to be here today, I want you to know God's will for your life at lunch and for the rest of the day is for you to love the people that you're around as much as you love yourself and to love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You see, we take those general concepts and we trickle those down to the very specifics. So I'm going to be judging you at lunch. You've got to love me as much as you love yourself, right? That's kind of a joke, but not really. So that's just what I want to. That's where I want to leave you this morning. It's 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 God's will. You can find it. You're going to be discouraged if you think you're the one running the show because you're not. And if you're not in God's word, uh, I hate to be the one to tell you, but you will remain an ignorant fool for the rest of your life. That's just the truth. You'll kind of be a know-it-all. You might pick up some street smarts, but you'll be a fool because we are not and were not created to be our own point of reference. If we're not shining the gospel through our lives and our minds are not being saturated and transformed and renewed through God's Word, then we're just a bunch of fools in suits. That's it. So I would encourage you, you can find God's will for your life. And your pursuit starts right here. And it ends here. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You that You haven't left us to uh, some uh, mystical, unattainable... uh, pursuit is to figure out what it is that you would have us to do, even in specific areas of our life. Uh, But your word is sufficient for us. Your word is a thorough furnisher. Your word gets us headed in the right direction. It's good for teaching, Lord. It's good for convicting us, good for lifting us back up. I pray that you would bless us, Lord, as as we spend time with you and as we spend time in your word. I pray that you would renew our minds. I pray you'd give us eyes to see where we can apply those things. I pray that you would uh, bless us to be aware of the opportunities that you're bringing uh, into our lives on a daily basis that we might uh, live a life that is inside of your will. I pray we would do that intentionally because you've called us to, and I pray that you would bless our efforts as we strive to do that. I pray for the church here at Gadsden. Would you lead them? Would you uh, strengthen them, encourage them uh, during this time? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.